0: Hello, I'm Dwayne McCrary. I'm the team leader for Adult Explore the Bible, and I'm joined today by David Briscoe. He's one of the content editors for the Adult Explore the Bible team, particularly working on the commentary. During the months of December, January, and February, we'll be examining passages from the books of Numbers and Deuteronomy. These books focus on the Israelites' journeys in the wilderness uh, from Mount Sinai to their arrival on the east side of Jericho, on the Jordan River, um, the people will repeatedly act unfaithfully towards God, and they'll suffer the consequences of their disobedience. And that's really what the Book of Numbers chronicles: is these consequences. So, people are preparing to enter the Promised Land. Moses is going to teach a new generation that the pathway to God's blessings lay in obedience. And these final addresses make up what we call Deuteronomy. In our time together, we're going to look at the titles of the books, the writer, what we gain from studying these books, the structure of the books, some key ideas, and how these books are point to Jesus. So, David, first of all, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the title of these two books and how that might give us some insight into Numbers and Deuteronomy?
1: Uh, sure. Uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy are the final two books of what we call the Pentateuch or the Torah, the five books of Moses, Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in the Hebrew Bible, uh, each of those books has a title that really is a word or phrase right from the beginning lines uh, of the text. Uh, When they were reading on scrolls, it was important for them to know, well, here's the start of the next book of the Torah. Uh, And so the Hebrew title of of the book of Numbers is simply, In the Wilderness, uh, that comes from that first line in uh, the book of Numbers. And it defines then really the setting of the book uh, because the action takes place. uh, The first 10 chapters, they're still at Mount Sinai, uh, which itself is in a wilderness area but then they're traveling through the wilderness to uh, Kadesh Barnea and then there you have a rebellion and the punishment for rebelling against God at that point is, of course, that they are uh, forced to live in the wilderness for several decades uh, until a generation of people die out, so in the wilderness is a Hebrew title. Now where did the book, where did the title Numbers come from? Well, about the third century BC, the Old Testament, Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek and we call that translation the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint then um, the uh, title of this book is called Numbers. And it's, it's drawn probably from the fact that there are two censuses Uh, 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 military censuses that are in chapters 1 and chapters 26 of the book of Numbers. So it's all about the numbers and that's where the English title comes from, uh, from that uh, Greek word that means numbers. And then in Deuteronomy uh, the first line is uh, these are the words in the Hebrew text. Uh, And so that, that's a, a pretty appropriate title as well because the book consists of a series of messages or sermons that Moses delivered uh, with the new generation of the Israelites who were camped uh, on the eastern side of the Promised Land, uh, just on the east side of the Jordan River at Jericho. Uh, the English title, Deuteronomy, again coming from the uh, Greek title in the Septuagint, uh, is... Uh, Really, a word that means uh, second law, the, the word Deuteros is two or second and nomos, uh, law. So second law, that title probably comes from Deuteronomy 17 verses 18 and 19 where Moses uh, gave an instruction for future Israelite kings that they were to make a copy of this instruction, this Torah. Uh, and read it and be guided by it in the leadership of their people. So it's really not a different law than the law that you find in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, but it is a copy of or a second uh, copy of that law that kings were to make uh, to make sure that they were guided by it.
0: Now the writer uh, of these two books, most scholars believe that that was Moses, um, that he wrote the, the, the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Acts, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy in, in most of our Bibles, and that he did so under the Holy Spirit's guidance. Uh, and now, they believe this and hold to this view for good reason. Uh, first of all, other Old Testament writers identified Moses as the writer of these five books of the law. Uh, you find that in Joshua 8, Judges 3, uh, 1 Kings 2, 2 Chronicles 35, you find it both in Ezra and Nehemiah, and then in Daniel 9. When you look at the life of Christ, Christ himself attributed the law to Moses. You find that in Matthew 19, Mark 12, Luke 5, and John 7. You think about it, it's one of the few things that all four Gospels include uh, in their account. Paul will also mention Moses as a writer of Scripture in 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, there really is little reason to doubt that Moses was the author of these books. Certainly someone else would have caught been called upon to write the conclusion of Deuteronomy since it chronicles Moses' death. It would be hard for him to write that unless it was prophetic. Uh, all kinds of different uh, opinions exist on who wrote that chapter. Some point to Joshua, some Ezra, uh, some the 20 elders who served under Moses. There are some who even believe that it may have been the first chapter of Joshua since the inning and beginning of books were not always clearly marked like we have them today. We don't know who wrote that final chapter. But what we do know in general is that Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And we know we can trust the Bible to be true regardless of, of who God used to write that final chapter. In preparation for this podcast, David focused on the book of Numbers, and I focused on the book of Deuteronomy. That way it can help us answer some of these other questions uh, that we want to address in an introduction of these two books. David, first of all, let's deal with the main things we can look for in the book of Numbers.
1: All right. Well, you find some laws and some instruction in the book of Numbers, and of course you find those two censuses that I mentioned in chapter one and chapter 26, but the bulk of uh, the book of Numbers uh, is a series of of intriguing narrative episodes, some events that occurred uh, while the children of Israel were in these wilderness areas there. So I I want to mention several of these. Uh, One of them in chapter 11 uh, is Israel's complaint about their desire for meat and a plague. Now, this one allows me to say that you'll find uh, some corresponding um, times and events in the book of Exodus as they began their journey to the Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. You'll find some corresponding events, uh, very similar kinds of events uh, in the book of Numbers as they then departed from Mount Sinai and made their way toward the promised land. So here's one where... They're complaining about their desire for meat and a plague. Uh, They had already, the Lord had been providing manna for them. Uh, Now, manna uh, is interesting uh, because uh, when we find in Exodus 16, 14, a description of what manna was, uh, it says when the layer of dew evaporated in the morning time, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as frost on the ground. So I I got to where I thought about manna as uh, really frosted flakes. (laughs) (laughs) And so just imagine then, okay, for years and years, that's all you got for breakfast was just cereal. Okay. So uh, here's a time then when Israel says, uh, we're we're tired of that every day and uh, we want some meat. And so the Lord provided some quail. They kind of flew in off of the ocean area, uh, the Mediterranean Sea area. And uh, those who went out and got the quail got sick from it. Uh, So it was sort of a plague that uh, was a punishment by the Lord for their uh, complaining and uh, unwillingness to follow the Lord and trust in Him. So that's an event in chapter 11. Chapter 12 uh, you have a, an event where Miriam and Aaron, Moses' siblings, uh, began to complain to him. He, Moses had taken uh, a wife, a Cushite woman, and so they used that as, an, as it, it sort of sparked their uh, complaint against Moses' leadership. And interestingly, uh, the Lord punished Miriam. Uh, with leprosy on her skin and, and the uh, real important part of that story is how Moses then interceded for her, prayed for the Lord uh, not, to, not to continue to uh, make her live with uh, leprosy but to heal her and uh, so, and he did. But it, it demonstrates that there was unrest uh, even among Moses' siblings. Then you have uh, in chapters 13 and 14, you have what I would call the key event in the book of Numbers. It's the central event. It's where the people of Israel come to an oasis called Kadesh Barnea, sometimes just called Kadesh. It was there that uh, Moses sent the uh, 12 spies into the land of Israel to uh, scout it out, to to see what was there, and of course they brought back uh, a majority report and a minority report, then spies said, uh, "Yes, it's a great land. It's a plentiful land, fruitful land. But they are fortified cities. The people there are giants. We, we look like grasshoppers in their sight. Uh, we can't. We can't take this land." Uh, two, Joshua and Caleb, two of those spies, uh, said, "No, no, no. The Lord brought us here. The Lord has promised this. So, um, they." called upon the people to to have faith in the Lord and to follow through with going into the land, promised land at that point. Of course, we know uh, that the people did not, they rebelled. And so in punishment, that's why the people then spent another uh, 38 uh, to 39 years in the wilderness uh, from Kadesh Barnea, traveling around through to the uh, area around uh, Moab, east of the Jordan River at Jericho, uh, all that time in the wilderness. Uh, there was another rebellion uh, led by the sons of Korah. The, this was one of the families of the Levi, the tribe of Levi. Uh, they were jealous that, uh, particularly because of Aaron, uh, was getting. Uh, he was the high priest, he was the authoritative priest And so in the midst of that rebellion, uh, then you also had an incident where uh, the Lord uh, signified and approved of Aaron's ministry by causing a miraculous budding of his uh, wooden staff. And that's in chapters 16 and 17 of of Numbers. In chapter 21, you have a, a very interesting episode where Israel again complains about their lack of bread, and water. And here's where they say, we just hate this manna. We hate this food that we have. We we want some bread. We want some water. And so uh, because the Lord uh, knew of their complaining, he sent a punishment of poisonous snakes. And these snakes would bite people. And so the people went to Moses and said, please intercede for us. And Moses did, another case of where he interceded on behalf of the uh, complaining people. And so the Lord instructed Moses to make a bronze snake image and to put that on a pole in the midst of the people. And if the people who had been bitten by snakes looked upon, gazed upon that uh, image that was on the pole, then they would be healed. And I'll mention in a moment why that's an important episode when it comes to the New Testament. Uh, In chapters 22 to 24, we have the prophecies of Balaam. Uh, These came about because of the efforts of Moab's king, Balak, to stop the Israelites by hiring a pagan sorcerer whose name was Balaam. He wanted uh, Balaam to curse the people. And so you have this, this tremendous episode of where the Lord actually works through this pagan sorcerer uh, not to curse the Israelites, but indeed to bless them. And yet in chapter 25, you have at that same place uh, where in the plains of Moab, uh, whereas Balaam did not successfully curse the Israelites at that point, uh, they brought a curse upon themselves by indulging in the ritual prostitution of the cult of Baal that was prominent in the land of Moab. And uh, that particular uh, episode of disobedience uh, just haunted the Israelites really for uh, years and years to come. So these are some dark episodes for sure, some episodes of complaint, punishment. And yet there were times in that period of time as well where Uh, God used that time as a a period of testing, a period of refining the faith of the people of Israel uh, as they followed him.
0: When we look at the book of Deuteronomy, what we really find is it's really primarily a, a group of speeches or sermons given by Moses on the plains of Moab just before Israel crossed the Jordan. In these sermons, addresses, speeches, whatever you want to call them, Israel is encouraged to serve Yahweh, reject all forms of idolatry, and obey all the laws that God had given. And one thing that you'll find here, often in Deuteronomy, we find laws in a summary fashion, um, in a way that would be meaningful to all the people. We can compare that to what we find in Leviticus and Numbers. For example, we find specific and detailed laws about sacrifices and holy days in Leviticus, which makes sense since it's primarily directed to the priests who are going to be responsible for carrying out those activities associated with those sacrifices and holy days. But in Deuteronomy, we find an explanation of those laws and sacrifices in a much more simpler way, which that would make sense too because he's addressing all the people at that time. Also, Deuteronomy serves as the text of the renewal of the covenant between God and Israel. Remember, we have a new generation on the scene here. The old generation that entered into the Sinai covenant with God has died off in the wilderness, and there's a new group there now. So it makes sense that you would need to renew that covenant with a new generation. Now the ceremony, this renewal ceremony, actually is carried out in Canaan at Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal under the leadership of Joshua. In Joshua eight, but the contents in Deuteronomy are the background. Certainly, the the contents of Deuteronomy serve as the um, order of service for that covenant renewal. David, let's talk a little bit now about the structure of these two books. What can you tell us about the structure of Numbers?
1: All right, Uh, the book of Numbers can be divided uh, either geographically or chronologically. Uh, so here's a, here's a structure for a geographic uh, division of the book. Uh, first of all, in chapters 1-1 through chapter 10-10, uh, you find Israel at Mount Sinai. They're still there. Uh, they had arrived there in the book of Exodus, but they're still there. And uh, they're receiving instructions, laws, worshiping the Lord uh, until that pillar of the cloud uh, and the pillar of fire at night moves, they're not going to move. And so in 1-1 to 10-10, that's Israel at Sinai. Now in chapter 10 verse 11 through chapter 20 verse 13, uh, that centers on that oasis of Kadesh Barnea or Kadesh. And so we find the journey from Mount Sinai to Kadesh uh, and then the events that happen while they are there, including uh, sending the spies into the land and the rebellion that takes place uh, there as well. And then you find in 20, chapter 20, verse 14, through the end of the book, 36, 13, uh, you have that really centered on the plains of Moab, uh, east of the Jordan, across from Jericho. And so the uh, chapters from 2014 to 3613 cover the journey to that area uh, and which took the people down through Edom and up the other side of the Dead Sea to the plains of Moab, the events that happen there as well. So that's the geographic structure. Uh, you can also see a structure uh, that could be called a chronological or a generational structure. Uh, for example, chapters one through 25, you have the Exodus generation. Uh, those who came out of the land of Egypt They came to Mount Sinai, they received the law there at Mount Sinai. They came to Kadesh Barnea uh, and rebelled there and then they were uh, consigned to the wilderness until that generation died off. So one through 25, the Exodus generation, then chapters 26 through 36 uh, would be called the conquest generation, the new generation. uh, These are the ones that Moses is going to address Uh, when you get to the book of Deuteronomy. Each of these sections, 1 through 25, 26 to 36, of course, opens with one of those military censuses. So what about the structure of Deuteronomy?
0: Okay, Well, Deuteronomy is organized into four major sections uh, made up of three major speeches followed by the account of the death of Moses. Uh, This first speech is in chapters 1 through 4, and in it Moses recounted the history of Israel after the Exodus, and he's focusing on their sins and warns them not to repeat those mistakes. Now, not everything in their history is included, but enough is there to encourage the people to pay attention to the lessons Israel should have learned from their past. Uh, The second speech or address of of Moses makes up the the bulk of Deuteronomy. It's the longest by far, and it covers chapters 5 through 28, and it is in three parts. Uh, It begins with a series of some general exhortations, which is chapter 5 through 11. And Moses calls on Israel to be faithful to Yahweh, to keep the Ten Commandments, and to avoid idols. The second part of the second speech gives detailed instructions to Israel concerning what they should do and how they should live once in Canaan. And that covers chapters 21 through 26. Uh, Chapters 27 and 28 describe how they were to conduct the covenant renewal ceremony once they were in the promised land. The third sequence of these speeches is chapters 29 through 32. We find some more exhortations and we find more encouragement. We also find a formal transfer of leadership to Joshua in the enshrinement of the law. And he concludes this address with the Song of Moses, which is in chapter 31 and 32. Uh, That song is really a rebuke and warning to Israel for the future. Uh, The book concludes with Moses offering his blessing on Israel in chapter 33, and then the nation eulogizes Moses in chapter 34, and this marks the end of the entire Pentateuch. Now, we mentioned at the beginning that we are also going to look at themes in these books. So, David, let's focus on the themes that we find in the book of Numbers.
1: All right. The book of Numbers, like any book of the Bible, is uh, just filled with timeless lessons that are intended for all generations of God's people. So I, I want to mention seven of these that emerge from the book of Numbers. One is that God is sovereign over all peoples, all nations. Of course, it's interested in God's dealings with His covenant people, the people of Israel. Uh, but yet we're, we're not allowed to forget that God is God over all uh, His creation And so in the account of Balaam, for example, in in Numbers uh, 21 through 24, you find God using this uh, non-Israelite, this pagan sorcerer, as an instrument for accomplishing His purposes. So God's sovereignty. Uh, Another theme in Numbers is that uh, the Lord cannot be confined to a region or a country, much less to a sanctuary. Uh, and so the, the lesson here for us is that, you know, when we're in the wilderness, so to speak, when we're in times that are difficult, when we're uh, not feeling that God is near us or present with us, uh, the book of Numbers tells us that God is there too. God is with His people wherever they are, uh, whether they are uh, on Mount Sinai worshiping Him or whether they are in the wilderness uh, moving through life uh, and seeking to follow Him. And, and a third theme is, of course, God is holy. Uh, he, his character is perfect moral purity, and He requires this purity of His people. It is like people like the Lord they serve. Another theme is that God is faithful. Uh, so even when His people are not faithful, God remains steadfastly loyal to his covenant. He keeps his promises even when we do not keep our promises uh, to him. And then a theme that God works with flawed, rebellious people. That's who we are. All of sin come short of the glory of God, all of us. And yet God continues to work with us uh, and to uh, call us to himself and to seek to cleanse us, purify us, and to uh, help us to become the people He wants us to be. And a sixth theme is that God is compassionate. Uh, and so when His people are in dire need, when they had no food, no water, uh, God graciously provided that. Even when it was the uh, a complaint on the part of the people, uh, really a, a show of distrust of the Lord, uh, the Lord was just gracious, merciful, and would provide for the people in the wilderness, even when they were uh, rebellious. And then finally, uh, a seventh theme is that uh, it's really a look from our point of view. Failure to trust and obey the Lord, it it always brings negative consequences for individuals. Uh, Sin destroys, sin hurts. When we fail to trust and obey the Lord, uh, it has these negative consequences not only for us as individuals, but it can impact our communities negatively as well. So you see these kinds of themes in the book of Numbers. Uh, What what do we see in Deuteronomy?
0: In Deuteronomy, we have some of the same kinds of themes. Uh, There's five I would point to here. Um, First of all, a big theme in Deuteronomy is remembering what God has done in the past, helps us recognize what He's doing now. Uh, Those past things serve as mile markers that direct us into the future and help us see where he's working now. A second theme is that God um, presents us with choices. Uh, Decisions we make impact not only us, but also our families, our societies, and the future of those families and societies. Um, A third theme we'll see in Deuteronomy is that God blesses those who obey him. Part of that too is he defines those blessings with the greatest being His presence. Uh, we don't pick the blessings, He does. A fourth theme is that God is holy and unique. I think you see that in both Numbers and Deuteronomy, but you really see it in New Deuteronomy uh, when uh, in Moses addressing the people and reminding always pointing to God's holiness and His uniqueness as their Lord. And the fifth thing I would point to here, David, is that God requires total devotion and commitment from His people. Uh, That that builds on that last thing that you mentioned, number seven, uh, the failure to trust and obey God brings negative consequences. Well, that's in part because God requires total devotion and commitment from His people, which is a theme we'll keep seeing in Deuteronomy. Now, before we go on, before we move... uh, um, ah, 29, 27. Um, Before we... uh, conclude our time, David, let's consider how these books point to, to Jesus. I know in 1 John... Ah. Before we move on, let's consider how these books point to Jesus. In John 5, we find Jesus declaring that Moses' writings focused on him. John 5.46 says, For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me because he wrote about me. So, David, what are some ways uh, that we uh, see Jesus in Moses' writings, particularly in the book of Numbers?
1: All right, I'd I'd mention four. Uh, One is uh, in Numbers 9, 15 through 23, you you find this description of God guiding His people by this ever-present pillar of cloud and fire. And so that, uh, that points us ahead. It foreshadows the way that the Lord guides believers today. Uh, the Spirit of Christ is indwelling uh, the believers. In Romans 8, 9, it speaks of that Spirit of Christ. And so through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, uh, then uh, God guides us every step of the way uh, if we follow Him. Uh, secondly, then you have the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, that is described in Numbers chapter 10, verse 33, and also verse 35 and 36. Uh, So the Ark of the Covenant uh, was uh, the central part of the worship in the tabernacle. And so it was in that holy of holies, or the most holy place. And the entire tabernacle then was situated in the camp center. That is, all of the people were surrounding The the central worship place, the tabernacle, and in the center of that was this Ark of the Covenant. Well, that certainly points ahead to where Christ occupies the central place in His people's hearts, uh, as is stated in Luke 6.46. Then I would uh, call attention to Moses' role as a mediator for the uh, rebellious Israelites. There were numerous times where they pled with Moses, intercede with the Lord for us, be the go-between, uh, pray to the Lord for us. And so that role that Moses played there as mediator for those rebellious Israelites, It uh, points exactly to Christ's role as mediator for all of us on behalf of us as sinners. Christ became the go-between, the, the Holy God, the Father, and us so that we might come to the Father through Him. And then that uh, episode in Numbers 21 verses four to nine, where the people were bitten by poisonous snakes and the Lord instructed Moses, uh, again interceding for the people, the Lord instructed Moses to place this bronze snake image on a pole uh, so that the people might look up to that. Well, in this case, you know, Jesus Himself called attention to that to that very incident, uh, and talked about how it pointed to Him in John chapter three, verses fourteen and fifteen. Uh, Jesus said, "Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up." He was referring uh, to his uh, upcoming crucifixion that He would be lifted up as well, and just as That bronze snake became an image, uh, became a source of healing uh, where God healed the people of the poisonous snake bites. When we look to Jesus, when we uh, receive him as Savior, when we believe in him, looking to what he did on the cross, then we are saved from our sin. We receive forgiveness. We receive new life. So uh, that functions as a type of Christ when the bronze snake was lifted up in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy,
0: we find at least three different ways where Christ is pointed to. Uh, The first one I would identify would be the Feast of the Passover uh, that is found in Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Moses makes a very important uh, statement that the sacrifice must be unblemished. Uh, He's pointing to that final plague in Egypt uh, in Exodus 12 when he's sharing this with the Israelites. Um, But during the Passover meal uh, that Christ ate with his disciples prior to his death, he identified the bread as symbolizing his broken body and the cup as representing his shed blood. Paul will also identify Christ as our Passover lamb who has been sacrificed. Uh, The feast of the Passover serves as the backdrop for the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and helps us understand why it took an unblemished sacrifice to pay for our sins. A second place that we see Christ in Deuteronomy is in chapter 25. It's where the law of the kinsman-redeemer is introduced. Now we'll see this law get carried out as Boaz took Ruth as his bride. But Christ serves as our kinsman-redeemer because He identified with us and He redeems us. And we find that in Ephesians 1.7 and Hebrews 2.11. In his third address, Moses issued a call for personal decision between life or death, blessing or curse, and that's in Deuteronomy 30. Moses' words foreshadows the Holy Spirit's appeal to us as sinners. Uh, the gospel's call, it's not impractical or impossible. Um, it meets us just as we are and calls us to an immediate faith response. Those who believe in Christ will live and those who do not face the consequences and the curse of that decision. Now our prayer is that as we look at the stories of Numbers and the messages of Deuteronomy, we will discover afresh our need for a Savior, and encouragement for living a life that honors that Savior. These books were important to Jesus, and they should be to us as well, giving us deeper insight into His life and death and how we should live our lives as His people.